If you have a Bible, turn with me uh, to the book of Acts. Let's go to chapter 7. We want to pick up our study in verse 37 and take it to the conclusion of verse 60. We want to look at this topic again. It's a tremendous history lesson by Stephen. And this morning is part two. Now again, let me just give you a, a quick refresher course, that is. Uh, Stephen is the first deacon of the New Testament church. He is there in Jerusalem. He has been arrested, and now he stands before uh, this religious sect called the Sanhedrin, the 71 elect of Israel, uh, the new movement of Christ, the Messiah of Israel, the beginning of the church age in the New Testament, has not gone well with the religious sect, especially because the people through the power of the Holy Spirit are coming to Messiah. Coming to saving grace. Miracle signs and wonders are occurring almost daily. The word of God is spreading rapidly. But it's not without trial. Now previously, we had seen John and Peter arrested. Not once, but twice. And they were told, do not speak in that name. The name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then they let them go. The second time, they caught them again. They took them in, interrogated them, basically. And again, they were told not to speak in that name, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But this time, they were beaten, and then they were let go. But now we come to Stephen. In the book of Acts in chapter 6, he is the first deacon of the church. We see seven men appointed by God, filled with the Holy Spirit. And now Stephen has been arrested, taken captive, stands before this Sanhedrin. He was taken in for blasphemy, for coming against God, coming against the religious sect. And yet he did none of that. He loved the Lord. He knows his Old Testament. And he stands there and he's going to testify mightily. Now it's interesting to me, uh, that he is the first deacon, but then he follows up at the conclusion of the chapter. He's the first martyr of the church. Nelson's Bible Dictionary uh, says that the Greek martus, the Greek word for martyr, which means witness, because the early Christian church frequently suffered for their faith. The word martus uh, soon came uh, to mean one who suffered or died because of their witness of Christ. The Apostle Paul calls Stephen a martus in Acts chapter 22, verse 20. And the book of Revelation mentions uh, the martyrs of Jesus Christ during the time of the tribulation in Revelation chapter 17, verse 6. What we see right now is uh, Mark prayed for Pastor Saeed. Uh, he is incarcerated for his faith. He's not alone, but he's a name that we know. There's so many uh, in third world countries right now that are being persecuted. Persecuted for being a Christian. Persecuted for believing in Christ. Persecuted for sharing the gospel, just as Stephen did. And not only are they being persecuted verbally and physically, uh, but some to the point of, of being dead, killed, martus, martyred for their faith. We know in the Middle East, many uh, are being killed by uh, crucifixion, burning uh, in cages, beheadings, and the women being raped. 
This is 21st century. It's nothing new. It's happened throughout church history. When you look at the church at Smyrna in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, Jesus speaking to seven churches. Seven churches that were actually uh, seven churches in Asia Minor at that time. And there were seven churches that were present. But the same type of the seven churches throughout history. The Smyrna church was the suffering church. The Smyrna church uh, was the persecuted church. That's happening today. There are those that we might know that are being persecuted. And so here's Stephen. He stands with boldness. And he could not have done this unless the Holy Spirit would have come upon him in the book of Acts in chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit fell upon the 120 that were in the upper room. We're not told that Stephen was in the upper room. But it could very well be. Because it's obvious that he was set aside with the other six and chosen uh, to be a deacon, a servant of the Lord. And that's another, another interesting take. Uh, here's the religious sect. Uh, many of them that were the doctors of the law. And here's a deacon. Uh, a deacon is a servant. Uh, a deacon took care of the menial task of the church. Uh, a deacon was not apt to teach. When you see the qualifications in 1 Timothy in chapter 3, the elders were apt to teach. But the deacons were called to serve as well as the elders called to serve. And yet here is Stephen and he's teaching mightily. And we're going to see it more in the conclusion of the chapter. So let's begin here. In Acts chapter 7, look at verse 37. And we begin this small section. The caption of my Bible says, Israel rebels against God. And, and so Stephen is going to give testimony. We left off with Moses last week. In verse 37 it says, This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will rise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Within your midst, in other words, uh, he you shall hear. Stephen knew his Old Testament uh, scriptures, especially the five books of the law uh, called the Torah, uh, the Pentateuch. Very sacred to the religious sect. Uh, Stephen reminds them of the prophecy, if you're taking notes, in Deuteronomy chapter 18. A prophet shall come like Moses. What was Moses? But he was a deliverer. What was Jesus? He came also uh, to deliver man from sin. And so I want to read to you in Deuteronomy 18.15. Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You shall listen to him. What a statement. And Moses is speaking about the deliverance uh, from the 400 years of bondage in Egypt. And yet now Stephen is declaring the Messiah, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. He has come to set men free. Look at verse 38 now. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers. The one who received, listen to the word, uh, the living oracles to give to us. Speaking about the Ten Commandments. 
Steve is speaking of Moses. Uh, He was with our ancestors, with God's people in the wilderness. There was 40 years in the wilderness. And I want you to see this. When the angel spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, interesting to me that the word angel is capitalized. Could it be a, a Christophany, a theophany of Christ in the Old Testament? I believe so. There Moses received life-giving words uh, to you and all Israel. He's directing this to the religious sect. The five books of the law, again, were very important to them. If you're taking notes in Exodus chapter 20, Moses receives the tablets of the law, the Ten Commandments. Interesting that Stephen mentions an angel, uh, capitalization here, indication that the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is God, the incarnate God, God in the flesh. You see, Jesus always was and always will be. Then he speaks about the power of the word of God. Those are the oracles of God. Now, before I read verse 39, uh, when you look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says the Word of God is alive and it's powerful. God's Word is not dead. There are those that say God is dead. God is not dead. And then how can His Word be dead? According to Hebrews here, uh, the Word of God is alive and it's powerful. It's sharper than a sharpest two-edged stone, a sword that is, cutting between the soul and the spirit. Listen to this. Between the joint and the marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires of the heart. And some of you can testify this morning uh, through the years. When you hear the word of God, it pierces. When you hear the word of God, it cuts. Especially when we are in sin. If we're open to the Holy Spirit, He will bring forth that sin nature. And then we need to take care of it. It's called repentance. Look at verse 39 now. And so Stephen's still looking at the consul, whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. Now again, let me just kind of bring in verse 38 again, and it just ties up so beautifully here. If the Word of God is the living uh, oracles of God, then God's Word is alive, and it's changing. It's changing the hearts of man. It challenges the hearts of man. Now, we understand uh, that the Word of God comes forth, but how and why? How does this take place? Because the Word of God, listen, the oracles of God are the doctrines of life. The Word of God is the divine revelation from God to man. Notice that Stephen says, our fathers did not obey God's Word. They rejected it. They're still rejecting today. Not only the Jews, but Gentiles are still rejecting the Word of God. Notice on Exodus chapter 32, if you're taking notes, they preferred the bondage of idolatry and of Egypt. They preferred to go back to their sin nature. Listen, this is important. They rejected the law then. In the 40 years of wilderness. And here's the religious sect. They're rejecting the law then. And now we come to the 21st century. There are still those that are rejecting Christ. As it's foretold of the Messiah in the Old Testament. 
Look at verse 40 now. Saying to Aaron, and this we're going back to the wilderness now, make us God, small g, to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. Here is proof text that Stephen, his message is from the Old Testament, and he knows his Old Testament. If you're taking notes again, in Exodus 32 through 34, Moses has been in the mountain now receiving the law. He was there for 40 days and 40 nights. And so, obviously, he's not coming back. Joshua is at the foot of the mountain waiting for him. But he was receiving the law, the direct law from the Lord. Exodus 32, please. In verse 41, and they made a calf. Listen, Stephen is hitting them right between the eyes, talking about your ancestors, talking about your forefathers. And they made a calf in those days offered sacrifices to the idols, and rejoice in the works of their own hands. And with this, he's going to go right into the temple, the temple that was such an edifice in Israel. Forty-six years to build. And they looked at that temple almost as a godly thing. And yet that's where they were to go to hear of the word of God. Notice in verse 41. How quick they turned back uh, to Egypt. Years ago, Keith Keith Green, I don't know if some of you remember him. uh, He had that song, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. I never forgot that. And there's another phrase too, uh, So You Want to Go Back to Babylon. Uh, These are cities of sin. These are cultures of sin. God brings you out of Babylon. God brings you out of Egypt. Why do you want to go back? Those that deal with farm animals and those uh, uh, 4-H clubs and such. And and they have a beautiful sow. They have a a beautiful pig, you know. And they raise that sow, that pig. And then they dress it up. They clean it and everything. And then they take them to, uh, you know, the various fairs. They want to win an award. But they know to hang on to that guy. Because as soon as they let him go, if he has a chance, he's back in the muck and the mire, as clean as he was. And that sometimes was the children of Israel. And that's sometimes even the church today. Why is it that we run back to the same sin nature that God brought us freedom from? Verse 42 goes on, Then God turned and gave them up to worship, listen, the host of heavens. This is what they were worshiping. As it is written in the book of the prophets, did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness? O house of Israel. You see, the worship of God was to bring forth an animal to sacrifice him and to place the blood on the altar and to sprinkle the blood on the people. All this was a picture of the things to come. Here in verse 42 is a heavy statement that Stephen is making. God turned away from them, the children of Israel, and abandoned them to serve the stars of heaven as their gods. They defied God. They worshiped, listen, the sun, the moon, the planets, the stars. 
They were not bringing sacrifices to the God of Israel. Spoken in the book of the prophets, if you're taking notes, in Amos chapter 5, verse 25. All of this Stephen knew so beautifully. In verse 43, you also took up uh, the tabernacle of Molech. You also took up the tabernacle of Molech. And the star of your God, Rephem, images which you made to worship. And I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Listen to the prophecy here. They took up the tabernacle of God. They went and they worshiped Molech. And there they partook of the tabernacle of Molech. To the place of worship of the God, small g, of idols of Molech, uh, Israel found themselves offering their children in history to the God of Molech. He was a Canaanite, a Syrian, and an Ammonite God. He was called the God of fire. Listen to this. They learned this in Egypt. He had a face of a calf. In Jeremiah chapter 49, it tells us that he was against Molech and he preached hard against Molech. Now, if you look at the word Rephem, it's the Egyptian God. Amos chapter 5, verse 27 gives us the Hebrew name Chuin, C-H-U-I-N. And so tradition says that it was a secret God worship in the wilderness. Again, worshiping the stars, etc. And basically, listen to this. What were they worshiping? They were worshiping Satan. Anytime you deviate from God, anytime you deviate from his son, you're worshiping the enemy. I can still recall 35 plus years ago, my friend telling me, Bob, you're either serving God or you're serving Satan. Oh, I was floored by that. I, I, I went to Catholic school system for 12 years. Not serving Satan when you're not serving God. And then you begin to evaluate and you begin to be honest with yourself. And you're drinking, you're selling drugs and doing all the things that don't please God. You're serving the enemy, like it or not. Now, disobedience, listen to this, brings judgment. Those of you coming to Wednesday nights, we've been going through the Old Testament. We're getting ready to finish the book of Ruth. And, you know, the book of Judges, remember? Everybody did that which was right in their own eyes. They constantly went back to their sin nature. And God would constantly bring a judgment. And here, the judgment that Stephen is speaking of, that they would be judged by Babylon, we know that eventually they would go in the Old Testament to Babylon for 70 years. Study the book of Daniel, that's what it's all about. Stephen knew his Old Testament law. And so now we come to verse 44, the caption of my Bible. It says, God's true tabernacle. The Old Testament tabernacle. But now, Stephen says, that was a tabernacle made by man. The hands of man. But the tabernacle that God is concerned of uh, today is you, the body of Christ. Paul says to the Corinthians, know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We'll get to that in just a minute. 
in verse 44, our fathers had the tabernacle of, the, uh, of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, instructing Moses uh, to make it according uh, to the pattern that he had seen. This is a great study if you've never done it. Go back tonight and study Exodus chapter 31 and chapter 32. God gave specific plans in the construction of the tabernacle of God. He said, choose a spirit-filled craftsman. Start uh, with the spirit the spirit craftsman, filled with the Holy Spirit. He said to start with Beziel, a man that's filled with the Spirit. He was basically the supervisor, and from there they chose others that had the knowledge and the wisdom of working gold and silver and tapestries and colors and such. And I mean, see, the, the tabernacle was beautiful. The, the tabernacle was gold and silver. And the fixings of it, just beautiful. Go back and study it. It was a picture of heaven, God's domain. And then eventually the temple is built. We know that Solomon's temple was built, then destroyed, and then Herod's temple. And that also was destroyed because they began to worship the temple. Interesting. Stephen brings this out so clear now. Notice verse 45. Which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua and the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of King David. Stephen is speaking about the promised land, the land of milk and honey that was given to the promise of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then finally, Joshua uh, took the tabernacle into the land. They conquered the cities and the people as God promised. But listen to this. Many of the battles they didn't even partake of. The Gentile nations were so fearful of the children of Israel. And so they were able to walk in many times, take the land, take their homes, take their crops, because the people had abandoned the fear of the Lord had come. They even took their herds because they left them behind. All this was the covenant made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The promises of God. And now the Messiah that's been promised. And they're rejecting. Look at verse 46. Who found favor. He's speaking about the Hebrews. Who found favor before God. And asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. And so we get back to King David. Stephen says David asked to build the temple in Jerusalem. We know that historically for the God of Jacob. We know God did not allow David to build because he was a man of blood. He was a warrior. But it was given over to his son Solomon. Look at verse 47. But Solomon built him a house. Now, on your own, go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 22 and study that tonight. It's a beautiful story. And David recognizes that he cannot build the temple because his hands were bloodied. He was a man of war. But it was given over to Solomon. 
And again, an edifice. King Herod's temple, an edifice. But listen to verse 48. This must have pierced their heart. However, the Most High, speaking about God, does not dwell in temples made by hand. As the prophet says, back in 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 27, Solomon pins, the heavens of heavens can't contain you, much less the temple I built. Solomon recognized it. Solomon was saying the temple in Jerusalem was temporal. Now you say that uh, to a Jew in the time of the early church, you have fighting words. You're stirring up a, a hornet's nest. You're not getting anywhere fast. You've touched their heart. But I want you to see what Stephen is speaking of. Because Paul writes later, if you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And then you follow that up in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Twice Paul brings it up. He says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? He's speaking to the church. And that the Spirit of God lives in you. Verse 17 says, God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Church, when you come in uh, to the service here at the sanctuary on Sundays and Wednesdays, whatever other days might be available, well, I'm going to church. Praise the Lord. But you go there to hear the Word of God. We don't come here to, to worship the temple, and, and we've all seen cathedrals. And if you've been to Europe, uh, you see uh, just the pomp and the glory. And a lot of those in Europe are empty today and becoming mosques. Radical. God does not dwell in those temples made by hand. And we're called to take care of that temple or God's going to destroy it. And how is it destroyed? It's destroyed by sin. The prophet that he's speaking of is in Isaiah chapter 66. The prophecy that God's home is in heaven, not the temple. All of that again was temporal. It's talking to the consul. It's talking to the 71 elect. It's piercing their hearts. And you're going to see now why the effect. Uh, they want to kill him. But they can't touch him until God is finished with him. You're not going to die. I'm not going to die until God is finished with us. Now, I pray just like the rest of you that the rapture of the church would take place. But God could take us home tomorrow. And our place is to be ready to stand before our maker. Look at verse 49. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Here's the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 and 2. Study the chapter, beautiful chapter. Again, Stephen, a deacon of the church, bringing these oracles forth. Verse 50 goes on. Has my hand not made all these things? Oh, I love that. Stephen is bringing forth the word of God. 
Has my hand not made all these things? God is the creator of all things. The Jews looked at the temple, 46 years to build. The great edifice, Herod's temple. Yet in 70 AD, Titus and the Roman army came in and leveled Jerusalem after three major sieges. How could that be? They tore down the the walls of the temple. Some of the stones were the size of that whole section. And we have many bricks there. Imagine one. They tore it down because the the gold seeped into the crevices. Gold does something to man. After a great fire was there. And they were scattered for 2,000 years to the four corners of the world. The Jews prided themselves. This is where God lives. Same as Christians. So many think God lives at a church building. The Bible says he dwells in you. Now we come here to worship God. We come here to praise him. We come here to teach his word. But we're not to worship the building, the temple made by hands. I don't know if some of you remember Back in Southern California, the Crystal Cathedral was all glass. And I mean, wow. All I could think of when I, the first time I saw it, all I could think of is Windex. <laughs> You've got to have a lot of Windex here. And Mary and I, we had parked our vehicle, and we went, I wanted to see it. I had heard so much about it. It's beautiful. And as we were going through, uh, it was kind of a little maze. You kind of went like that just to uh, get you in the mood, I guess. And, you know, we're getting ready to walk in. That was a sidewalk. wasn't a straight sidewalk. Kind of went. And anyway, as we're walking, all this Christian music is coming from the grass. And I'm going, you know, I'm approaching heaven. That's what some people think. God does not dwell. And temples made of hand. God proved it in 70 AD. I leveled it. And he did. He did, church. You know what's so great push today in Israel? They have all the tools. They have all the colors. They have all the tapestries. They have all the wood. They have all the utensils. They have everything ready for the next temple. And that's the great push right now. They want the next temple. In verse 51, again, the caption of my Bible, Israel, resist the Holy Spirit. Stephen is speaking about them, the religious sect, and those that would follow the religious sect. Listen, Stephen rebukes them, rebukes Israel for their failure to know the word of God. He uses a strong phrase here. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in your heart and your ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. As your forefathers did, so do you. It's an interesting take here. Uh, This word, uh, stiff-necked, is a reference to an animal harnessed to a yoke He is controlled by his owner. They can't move their neck freely. 
side to side, up and down. It's captivated by the yoke of bondage. That yoke of bondage is Satan. Their hearts were uncut by the Holy Spirit. Their ears were stuffed with the world's standards. They were not free from bondage. But they were so steeped into religiosity. You know, it's interesting that the word religion is a man-made word. But God always wanted a relationship with his people. A relationship is God sending down his son to become the mercy seat, the propitiation for my sins, for your sins, for the sins of mankind. Listen to the rebuke. He takes it further. Verse 52. Which of the prophets uh, did your fathers not persecute? Radical statement. And killed those who foretold the coming of the just, just one, or speaking of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, of whom you now have uh, become the betrayers and the murderers of. Listen, he says, you put Jesus on the cross. You put the Messiah on the cross. I, I get excited because Stephen has their attention span. They can't touch him until he's done with the work that God has called them to do. But I like verse 52. Not only did they resist the Holy Spirit then, but then in the New Testament then, first the Old Testament, then the New Testament, they persecuted the prophets of God. Listen, Jeremiah was placed in muddy cisterns. He was called the, the weeping prophet. Uh, Isaiah was sawn in half. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Listen to this take. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the faith chapter. In verse 37, they were stoned to death. Speaking about Zechariah, he was one of them that were stoned. They were sawn asunder. Speaking about Isaiah. They were tempted. Uh, were slain with a sword. Uh, they wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins. And listen to these three words. They were destitute. They were afflicted. They were tormented. All, all of this is in verse 37 of Hebrews 11. The word destitute. These are prophets of God. They were poor. The word uh, that says here, not only were they destitute, but they were afflicted. They were beaten. If they weren't martyred, but they were beaten. Tormented. Spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare still today. Paul speaks about it uh, to the Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 10 through verse 20. Put on the full armor of God because you're going to be in spiritual warfare. And those of us that are in leadership understand that. And the closer you draw to God, the more you draw to God, uh, expect spiritual warfare. It'll come your way. Uh, years ago, we were at a pastor's conference up at Twin Peaks in Southern California. And that was way back uh, in the late 70s. Uh, Calvary Chapel Bay really just getting off the, off the map. I mean, it's growing. And so we had one of our first or second uh, conferences there. And it only uh, occupied about 700 guys. was not enough. And so we quickly outgrew that. 
But I remember we're talking to a group of guys. It was about six of us. I've been in the ministry for a couple of years, so I knew. And somebody's talking about trials. And so this one guy, young in the Lord, just recently had been ordained as a pastor. And he says, you know, I really don't go through any trials. And everybody looked up. Almost immediately, we all put our hands on his shoulder. Let us pray for you because it's coming. It's coming. He didn't understand. I don't remember who it is. I wonder if he's still in ministry, but I'd like to talk to him today. Can't you just see him with bandages around his head, walking in, you know, with crutches and, you know, the whole yard? Destitute, afflicted, tormented. Look at verse 53. Who have received the law by the direction of the angels and have not kept it. The law was given to you. He's speaking to the religious sect. He's speaking to Israel. It's a personal, it's a personal thing. The law was given to you. The law was given to us. You're the chosen people of God. You're the apple of God's eye. Yet you have rejected your Messiah of Israel. Their concept, let's build a temple. They rejected the Messiah then. They rejected the Messiah in the early church the Old Testament, and many are still rejecting the Messiah today. But let's build the temple. And so the conclusion, as we're going to see this last section, Stephen now, the martyr of the church, the first deacon of the church, and now the first martyr of the New Testament church. In verse 54, when they heard these things, the, the consul, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Can't you just see them? We're, we're accustomed to seeing the Jews. They'll open up their coats. I mean, they bust them open. And the gnashing of teeth, but they still haven't said anything to him yet. Finally, they had had enough. They were cut to their hearts, not by the Holy Spirit to salvation, but by the Holy Spirit to conviction. And they would not take the conviction. And, and so their hearts are in anger. Interesting, in Proverbs 16, 18, it says that pride comes before a fall. Pride comes before a fall. I can testify to you before I came to Christ. It, it took a three-year span because pride got in the way. Pride kept saying, I'm okay. I've done all the rituals, the rites, the customs that I needed to do. I'm okay. And my friend kept saying, Bob, you need to be born again. What are you talking about? And I read John chapter 3 many times. And I didn't understand. I kept thinking, my friend is crazy. How can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? He was speaking about a spiritual birth. And so listen to verse 55 now. But he, speaking of Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus Standing at the right hand of God. His rightful place. 
before Stephen's death, this was his experience. I believe that God gave him the grace. I believe that God gave him the grace. I believe that when our martyrs, men and women, die for the Lord, God gives them the grace. God gives them the grace. And we hear the testimonies of so many. If you've never had the opportunity, uh, read the book of Fox's Book of Martyrs. Great book. Notice now in verse 56, and they said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Uh, Stephen's given testimony. They're not going to like it. Then they cried out with a loud voice finally, and they stopped their ears, and they ran at him in one accord. They were all in one agreement, the word accord. The 71 elect of Israel. I have to ask the question, did they all charge? I don't know. There would have been 71 of them. But I believe a great number of them did charge. Gnashing their teeth, looking at them, coats opened up. Oy vey, we're going to get you. <laughs> when it was his time, when he was through with his testimony, verse 58 goes on, and they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet. Listen to this. Of a young man, his name, Saul. We know that it's Saul of Tarsus. But listen to the background. The city gates could be at least 20 feet high. They plummeted Stephen uh, after throwing him over. If that didn't kill him. And then they threw stones. Taking the outer garment off. And laying at the feet of Saul of Tarsus. Which I believe we will see later. In Acts chapter 9, the Damascus Highway, he comes to saving grace. He was part of the Sanhedrin, part of the elect. He was considered a doctor of the law. God gets a hold of this man. We'll get to that in Acts chapter 9. Uh, verse 59, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Again, he's a martyr. He's a martus. He's a witness. Here's Stephen, a great witness of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, his Savior. Back up real quick, because what's happening here? In Acts chapter 1, look at verse 8. These are the words of Christ before Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, the promise, you shall receive power. The word is dunamis, dynamic power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, the api experience, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and saturates you. The picture we get is when Aaron is being anointed as the high priest in Psalm 133. Go ahead and read that when you get home. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And listen to the word. You shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What a prophecy. Look how far the word of God has gone in the last 2,000 years. Look how many times uh, uh, Satan has tried to quench the word of God and the move of the church. 
And what happens? The church grows even more and more. Look at verse 60, the conclusion. Then he knelt down, speaking of Stephen, and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. They're going to kill him. And he has the audacity to cry out for forgiveness for these guys. That's not my nature. I'm sure it's not your nature. But God has spoken to Stephen. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That was a term that was used in the Greek culture, in the early church. When you fell asleep, you were dead. And the purpose is because you're going to wake up. The Lord's going to take you home. And so, interesting take by Stephen at the conclusion. Listen to who he copied. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus is on the cross getting ready uh, to give up the ghost. Arms stretched out. Body's been bloodied and beaten to a pulp. Isaiah says you can't recognize him. And what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You cannot say this unless the Spirit of God is in you. You cannot say this unless the Holy Spirit is leading you and guiding you into all truth. We're hearing so much of Christians being crucified right now in the Middle East. Christians being beheaded right now in the Middle East. Christians being put in cages and set on fire. This is happening today. Church, look around us. The time is right. The time is right for judgment on this earth. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about. Seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bold judgments. They're coming. They're coming. As you study the book of Revelation, and Scott's going to bring it forth uh, in clarity, it's a progression. Seven years of tribulation get... Worse and worse as they go. Daniel prophesied. It's the 70 week of Daniel that's coming. It's Jacob's trouble that Jeremiah pinned of in Jeremiah 30, verse 7. It's to woo back the nation of Israel. But I want you to see what happened to Stephen here at the conclusion. We know that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the name Stephen, as we shared earlier in teachings, uh, his name meant crown. And he received the crown of glory according to First uh, Peter chapter 5, uh, verse 4. It's the crown of salvation. And then in Revelation chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, it's called the victor's crown. It's called a crown for the martyrs. In all reality, you could receive all the crowns. But I believe many of us will not receive the crown of martyrdom. But God has called and chosen some. I hope and pray that Pastor Saeed will be released and we need to pray. But he could easily, at any day, at any moment, any time, he could become a martyr for Christ. I believe he would accept that. I believe God would prepare that. But I think of his wife. I think of his children. 
I think of his son Jacob that said to President Obama, he says, what can I do for you? Can you bring my daddy home for my birthday? His birthday is this month. Stephen is a good example to us. His strong witness, the history lesson uh, that he gives to the nation of Israel, to the religious sect, or they eventually martyred him, put him to death. But it wasn't until he finished his course. Finished his course. It's not who wins the race, but who finishes the race. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. It will not come back void. Lord, I pray this morning as the Holy Spirit has spoken to us, maybe there's somebody here that still has not made a commitment to Christ. Today is the day of your salvation. If you'd like to receive Jesus real quick, just raise your hand and I'll say a simple prayer of faith with you. Anybody here uh, this morning? Praise God, then we're all believers. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Uh, Father, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you. Thank you for speaking to us. Uh, through Acts chapter 6, as the early church chose the seven uh, deacons of the church, and then now in Acts chapter 7, we see the testimony of the first deacon, Stephen which his name meant crown, and he testified to the religious sect in Jerusalem. Oh, Lord, make us like Stephen, to be a witness and a testimony of your love. Father, go before the body of Christ here uh, this morning. Bless the offerings as you've given to us, the opportunity to give back a portion. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And we all agree by saying, Amen.